With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On such a fantastic documentary. Oh, thank you. Now, this is such a fascinating documentary. I was wondering if you could start off by telling our listeners a little bit about the documentary and what they can expect to see when they sit down and actually watch the documentary. Um, Well, the documentary is called The Witch of King's Cross. And it's a feature-length documentary about the notorious artist Rosaline Norton, who scandalised 1950s Australia with her cult art and kinky sex life. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how you discovered Rosaline, because I understand it came from when you were doing research for your last documentary. Yeah, that's right. So I made a documentary um, some years back called Recipe for Murder that was for the ABC, and it was about women who poisoned their husbands with rat poison in Sydney in the 1950s. Um, So while I was um, researching and making that film, I did a lot of research on uh, tabloid newspapers at the time, and I was in the State Library going through the microfiche, and articles about Rosaline just sort of kept popping up. And um, I thought, oh, gee, that's interesting, and sort of started a little folder and put it away for a while, and I just kind of kept coming back to it. Um, and then I sort of made a decision to go for it and try and make a feature documentary about her. Yeah, and what kind of articles were they about her? Were they the kind of articles that we would see, say, in the the confidential part of a tabloid newspaper these days, or was it allegations that she was more dangerous than that? Um, yeah, they were very sort of scandalous, um, uh, sort of a witch tells her own story, the inside story of the witch, and um, there was a lot of articles actually in the Australasian Post, um, but then, then there was, in the tabloids, what initially drew it to me, I think it was the Daily Telegraph, there was about the obscenity cases and court cases, about her being arrested and charged with obscenity, yeah. were most of the cases in the newspapers. Yeah, and she also had a very high-profile lover as well. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that and how that made it into the papers as well? Well, that... Um, A lot of people think that that was in the newspapers at the time, but it actually wasn't. Um, So she was involved with Eugene Goosens, who um, he had his own newspaper scandal. He was um, caught bringing pornography into Australia and, you know, the journalists had been tipped off by members of the vice squad and there was kind of a welcoming committee at the airport ready to search his briefcase. A lot of people think that at the time that, their relationship was published in the papers, but it wasn't um, known until many, many years later. People knew, journalists knew, but it wasn't published. There was a hush order, and um, there was no there was no mention of her name in in the newspapers in, in the fifties yeah. related to Eugene Goosens. It was wasn't until much later. But yeah, his his story was. Um, it was. There's a lot of newspaper articles about his story. Yeah. Now a lot of filmmakers listen to this show and they're going to be very interested to know this how did you then 
progress with finding out more information about Rosaline after you had found those newspaper articles? So what happened is um, initially I started off and like making a you know regular documentary, doing research, and then I quickly found out that there was there was no collection of her artworks anywhere. There were you, you couldn't find them. All you could find was little bits of things on the internet. There was no. There was no place that you could go to and license artworks or get access to them, so that was interesting. Um, and I did, I had heard that there were a couple of private collections, um, but it took me a long time to find them. It actually took two or three years to unearth these private collections. And um, by that time, uh, I'd sort of passed a point of no return. Like, uh, that was the point of no return, really. I had just started making the film independently. Um, I st- was filming um, some of the interviewees were who were quite senior in age. Who, I found people who actually knew her and lived with her and felt an urgency to start collecting these stories. And some of the people have since passed away, so it was really important. But um, unearthing these private collections of artworks, diaries, scrapbooks, notes, all her theories on trance and... Um, philosophies on sex magic and experiences in with the occult. Um, it took a couple of years to find that stuff, and I've weaved that through the through the film with motion graphics and animation, and you know actually used her real material and her voice tells her own story. So the the voiceover of the actress telling using Rosaline's voice is actually from her diaries. They're her words. Yeah. How did you discover her diaries? Was that through her friends and the people that had lived with her? Yeah, it was one of the private collections. There's like a couple of major private collections that I unearthed. And these are owned by people that are close confidants at the time who uh, would like to remain private. Yeah, definitely. Um, So tell us a little bit about when you first approached the film... How did you want to present the film? Like, did you have an idea in mind that you wanted to explore her life um, and try to better understand her? Or what was the main objective of the documentary when you first started working on it? When I first started working on it, I was just really interested in this. It wasn't so much about the art. I I was interested in this uh, woman who was ahead of her time. Yeah. She was, you know, decades ahead of her time. She was at the vanguard of feminism and the counterculture revolution. I was interested in this sort of brave, wild, outlaw woman who was breaking all the rules and not taking no for an answer. She was arrested constantly. She wasn't a murderer. I mean, I just made a film about murderers. She was an artist and she was just really harassed by the police. So I was really interested in this kind of, this idea of this bit of social history. And, but as I went along, um, and I had to do a lot of research into all the pantheons in her art and a lot of the Greek and ancient mythology and pagan beliefs and the Jewish Kabbalah and Jungian theory. The more I understood the symbols um, behind her art, the more it really it really grew on me. And now I think it's amazing. Yeah. And um, people who see that have seen the film say, "Wow, I had no idea what an incredible artist she was." Um, so in Australia at the time, she was overlooked as an artist because of all the scandal. She was just, 
she, she, she was just not treated seriously as an artist. But now we look at her work and you can understand the work and understand the context. You can look at the work in, with fresh eyes and really appreciate um, her ability and, and what she was doing at the time. It was groundbreaking and she's really a unique character in, in um, mid-20th century uh, women's artists, not just in Australia but internationally. Definitely. What was the one bit of information you discovered about her when you were doing your research that that really surprised you or really impressed you? Was there one bit of information that kind of did that for you? Um, I guess the very first thing was when I realised that that the people had had this idea that she was she was this woman who destroyed the great man she was the evil witch who brought down this great composer so eugene goosens and um there's been modern press about it over the years and people have reported on this and when i realized that there was actually no press about it at the time that it was their relationship was outed many years later it wasn't first published until the 90s um that was a real clanger. I was like, what? This is incredible. So so that's the idea of mythology. That this myth had been created that she'd, it was her who destroyed this great man. And, um, and then I realised that, well, no, she didn't. Yeah. And, and it wasn't even published at the time. So when, when, when something like that happens, it makes you question everything. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask that. How much of what was alleged in those days ended up being mythology and how much ended up being true? Because we've seen a lot of great people taken down over the years by gossip in magazines and gossip in newspapers. How much of it was mythology and how much of it was actually true about our life? Well, I can't give you like a, a figure, but yeah. there's an incredible amount of mythology, um, and that, and that at a point she she actually did turn it on its head and um, embrace the mythology, and she she said, "Well, you're going to call me a witch and call me all those things." Well, yes, I am, and then she like pose in a pointy hat and things like that and tell her own stories, and she she actually turned it around and took control of the stories and wrote them herself. Yeah. Even the stories that she writes herself for the Australasian Post, for example, who knows what's true? Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fascinating. It's an absolutely fascinating story. And, and it's important to remember, too, that, I mean, these were the early days of this sort of tabloid scandal. You know, there wasn't a lot of precedent. Um, so if, if people might look at it now and go, well, what was she thinking, you know, what was she thinking having these newspaper stories and things? You know, there wasn't... People were, aren't as media-savvy then as they are now. People now are very media-savvy and they know that um, whatever they say could be sort of twisted or, you know, projected in a certain way. People didn't know back then. Yeah, yeah. And style-wise, this documentary is so fascinating and so creative with what you've done where did the idea come about to to use things like dance and how did that change the process of putting the documentary together for you um well i i actually had 
um, incredible budgetary constraints um, because the film, I didn't get any traditional film finance. Um, we got knocked back by uh, broadcasters here. And if you don't have a broadcast deal for a documentary, it's, it's pretty hard. So it was all self-funded in um, an independent film. So I had, had these budgetary constraints, which sometimes force you to be more creative. And it's also quite freeing because there's, there's no you know, finances and bureaucrats telling you how, what to do and how no, that's too weird or that's too risky. So I just really went for it. I just thought, oh, well, if I've got to pay for it myself and do everything myself, I'll do whatever I want. So, you know, nobody can tell me what I can and can't do. So that was quite fun. And I came up with this idea of presenting her life as performance art. I mean, that's kind of the theme that runs through the whole film is like, you know, what is performance and, and what is the personal self and then the public persona and the idea of mythology and the idea of that she had this public persona, which is which is an artwork within itself. And, and her journeys into trance where she'd go into a trance and meet these gods and goddesses and have these real experiences um, and she said that like what she painted was these real experiences that she had on the astral plane so I cast dancers as Pan, Lilith and Lucifer and you know there's these performances with her on this kind of mythical bohemian stage um, and they're quite erotic because she was she was um you know, always told that it was obscene, whereas to today's, today's audiences, we look at the artwork and go, yeah, it's pretty tame. Yeah. But so I've, I've, I had this feeling that I really wanted it to be erotic and I wanted it to be an experience for the audience where there's big music and big sound and these amazing, beautiful, writhing, sexy bodies and it's all a bit sort of surreal and, and different. So that's uh, what we did. Awesome. Well, Sonia, thank you so much for chatting to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. The documentary looks absolutely amazing. And I was wondering to finish off, is there anything you would like to say to our listeners out there before they sit down to watch The Witch of King's Cross? Um, oh, I'd just like to say, like, go along with an open mind and, um, you know, feel free and released and you know not have expectations of how, of how a documentary should be really i think a documentary can be anything and there, there are no rules um the, and the film's available uh worldwide on amazon itunes google play and vimeo on february the 9th and in selected cinemas in sydney and brisbane from february the 11th Awesome. Well, again, Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I know a lot of our um, listeners out there are definitely going to want to check out this documentary. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.